The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hey, this is Carl Smith, a.k.a. Camarillo Brillo, host of the Goat Kicker podcast, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd podcast with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN, episode 241, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 27th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not skipping debates with the nerd Illuminati to show everyone I play by my own rules, I'm writing the comic speculator blog for wordpoint.com. You're a real maverick. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not flying my fantastic car drone over U.S. aircraft carriers... That was you? What's the second part they of this? They think it's Iraq. I mean, like, you got to tell somebody, dude. <laughs> I'm telling them right now on my internet-famous podcast. I'm the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Let's just stick with that. You're still a manager in our hearts. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Profit, Earth War, number one, and Faith, number one. After that... Joe and I will review 10 more of this week's comics while we escort Flat Earth conspiracy theorist and rapper B.O.B. into outer space during a ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're saying goodbye to a couple of old friends and talking about some of next week's comics. And finally, it's a fifth week! So we'll be counting down our top five super old superheroes, but... Before we start fielding questions about equal pay for our female love slaves, we'd appreciate it if you media types would look up the definition of the word slave. They don't get paid. And then they get paid in love. (laughs) We'll talk about this week's big news. Sometimes love feels strange. You know, it's it's not always tender. (laughs) Pull the ripcord before you get us in trouble. While fandom holds their collective breath, waiting for DC Comics to explain what the hell Rebirth is going to be. I don't know if they know yet. Yeah. The publisher has announced a different kind of reboot. Beginning in May, DC is launching a line of comic books based on Hanna-Barbera's Flintstones, Scooby-Doo, Wacky Races, Space Ghost, Johnny Quest, and more. But the familiar characters are taking on a different form than you might remember Matt, are you ready for the all-new, all-different Jabberjaw? I believe that's the Anad Jabberjaw. Anad Jabberjaw? <laughs> I hope he's dark and gritty. I got a little worried, honestly, when I first heard this. Dan DiDio described the project as, quote, a reimagining of these Saturday morning classics with a more modern, contemporary look and feel. Okay, that scares the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. All right. So, DC has announced four titles for the new line so far. Here's what we know. Scooby-Doo Apocalypse will be the flagship book co-written by Keith Giffen and Jim Lee, who also did the, let's be honest, troublesome character redesigns with art by Howard Porter. Uh, Here's the solicit. Those meddling kids and their mystery machine are at the center of a well-meaning experiment gone wrong, and they'll need to bring all of their mystery solving skills to bear, along with plenty of Scooby snacks to find a cure for a world full of mutated creatures infected by a nanite virus that enhances their fears, terrors, and baser instincts. This time, the horrors are real in this apocalyptic near-future badland. Where Shaggy is a hipster with a waxed mustache 
and full sleeve tattoos. Yeah. Okay. So good God. They're they're modern redesigns, and uh, you know, and for the most part, I'm fine with it. You go Velma's like this super genius little kid. Oh my God. I don't I don't know, but. And Fairchild from Gen 13 is there. Daphne does look exactly like Fairchild. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, Scooby is wearing a robot monocle. Sure, why not? Well, because yeah. it's the near future hey. and they've got all sorts of gadgets. I'm fine with all that. Oh, man. But I just think it looks stupid. The number one takedown of the Shaggy thing I read online was this Shaggy is way too lazy. Yeah. Shaggy is supposed to be uh, lazy. Yeah. Shaggy should be. There's no way he's that well put together. Like, if you're going to do it this way, then Shaggy should be like. You know, a slacker stoner. Like they still like have stoners head. today. Yeah, he should be like a slacker stoner metalhead. I mean, I know? understand the progression. He was a hippie in the sixties, and right. now it's the it's the now. And yeah, so, but now he just wants to play video games, listen to doom metal, smoke weed. You know, right? But this this is, I think, the wrong direction for Shaggy. Whatever. Um, also, the monsters are real, which is also not really a Scooby Doo thing. Yeah, dumb. The next book, Future Quest, which is a merging of Hanna Barbera's action titles, including. Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, The Herculoids, Birdman, Mitor, and Frankenstein Jr. <laughs> All under one banner, written by Jeff Parker, with art by Doc Shaner. I want to subscribe to that now. That sounds amazing. I can't handle how much I want that and comic like, there's book. A, there's a preview image of there Johnny, are two different images, Johnny yeah. and Haji like pointing at Space Ghost in shock, and I saw yeah. it, I'm just like, oh my god, that and, is awesome. So... <laughs> There's that one, and then there's another one that's by Darwin Cook, which yes. is just all the characters running forward. With the Herculoids running behind oh, Johnny like, Quest and, like, Race Banyan. Got, like, oh, man. I got chills. So chills. Cool. <laughs> Third on the list, Wacky Raceland. Why it's called Wacky Raceland and not Wacky Races, I couldn't yeah, tell you. I don't know. Follows in the footsteps of the animated Wacky Races show with animation writer Ken Pontact, artist Leonardo Manco, and vehicle designer Mark Sexton. Doesn't Leonardo Manco draw strictly terrifying stuff? Yes. <laughs> this series will feature Dick Dastardly, Penelope Pitstop, the Anthill Mob, and more in what the publisher calls... I love the Anthill Mob. <laughs> a dark and gritty take on the animated series in the vein of Mad Max. Good God. DC described it as follows. A time of hope and innocence with Utopia at the finish line has given way to planetary Armageddon and a desert wasteland full of radioactive lakes nanotech dust storms and cannibalistic mutants okay so leonardo manco makes sense yeah. suddenly against this backdrop the wacky racers and their sentient vehicles oh, continue God. their contest they've all got night riders but now the competition is for survival and there can only be one winner when the checkered flag falls this is bat crazy i think it sounds <laughs> awesome like the instinct is to say oh dc's making something dark and gritty barf but a mad max style Wacky races comic I, with I, I, Dick Dastardly. That sounds awesome. Are they going to get the, the genie crew in there too? Oh, <laughs> yapple, dapple. It's a cannibalistic I, mutant. I hope so. <laughs> Finally, the Flintstones by Prez writer, Mark Russell and an artist to be named later. Uh, Amanda Connor handled the character redesigns, which I mean, they look like the Flintstones, but a little bit more modern. Yeah. Yeah. They look cool. Yeah. DC described the series saying, quote, Russell will use Bedrock's most popular family to shine a light on humanity's ancient customs and institutions and a funny origin story of human civilization. Fred is still the simple man striving to be the king of his castle. Wilma is still the tolerant but not indulging wife. And Barney, with his wife Betty and infant son Bam Bam, is still the original wingman whose loyalty to Fred often outweighs his common sense. 
Essentially, it's the Flintstones. And Betty is still the hottest thing in Look, the world. Look, if you thought she that you so had a sexy. crush on Betty Rubble before, Ooh, wait till you see this. Holy smokes. <laughs> Barney, married well above his station. Good for you, man. I know your your gut instinct is to ask if we need this. No, 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 no. no. But I don't think we've no. ever needed anything more. I, I, Okay, huge props to them for just doing something weird and fun. And like, I winced at the Racky Waste World, but then I looked at the image, went, oh, I don't know, that's kind of neat, I guess. <laughs> now, the only thing in here that looks like it sucks is Scooby-Doo. I, that's just stupid. I think you want to do Scooby-Doo, do it exactly the way it used to be done. The Mystery Machine is transported into modern day. They're still all the same characters. <laughs> oh, so have it be like a really dark modern yeah, world? Yeah, like they think like crackheads are monsters and Oh man, <laughs> that well, I mean, fantastic. I think the idea is that it's still <laughs> moderately all ages, right? Yes, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know about wacky races being all ages. That certainly doesn't look like it. Jim Lee should. They should have stopped allowing Jim Lee to design new characters in 1998. Yeah, because he's bad at it. Yes, and his sense of his design sense has not matured since then. Now, before you all jerk your knees and freak out, look, Jim Lee is an amazing. I artist. I like Jim Lee as an artist. Very talented. He's not a good designer for this no. era. His new 52 costume designs across the board are awful. Yeah, they're stupid. I like the creative theme, though. I like Keith Giffen. I like Howard Porter. So I like Howard Porter, too. Keith Giffen has been letting me down a lot lately. He hasn't written anything I've really cared about for quite a while. I think that's your fault. No, I think you agree with me most times when we <laughs> review it. <laughs> Joe Patrick. Yeah. In TV news, Lucifer debuted on the Fox Network this week. Much to the chagrin of One Million Moms and the Washington Post. They hated it. The show, which is loosely based on the Vertigo series of the same name, stars Tom Ellis in the title role as the Prince of Darkness when he decides to, you know, play detective in the City of Angels. Because we can't have TV shows unless they're cop procedurals anymore. Right, right. We both watched the pilot, Joey. Did you like what you saw? Or are you siding with millions of moms on this one? Everybody knows the, the biggest joke of my entire fandom is that Joe Patrick likes everything. Right. He finds something to love in everything. Yep. I thought that the Lucifer pilot was a burning dumpster fire. Okay. See, this is bizarre because I found something to like in it. I hated it. Really? Yeah. I hated okay, it. Okay. All it was was castle. It's castle with the devil. That's all it is. Right. Or and that's what's the other one? Uh, part the, of the problem. The mentalist with the devil. Sure. That's all it it's is. It's a thousand different shows. Yeah. It's like, oh, you like all this stuff? Oh, uh, we'll just force this beloved comic story. Yeah. That I, seriously, I treasured Lucifer. It was a wonderful series. But do you know the difference between this show and Castle? Castle has Nathan Fillion. Right. And this show has nobody you give a about. With that said, Tom Ellis was... A cute character. I didn't mind him on screen. He played the part well, I guess. You know, like, I got to give out some props. And I, I, I think he did fine with what he was given. My main problem with Castle, which is a fun show, mm. the detective woman is like a 95-pound lingerie model. She is the most beautiful cop you've ever seen in the world. Yeah, we've had this argument they before, never and that doesn't it. hold water They with never me. talk about it. In this one... Good-looking people can have normal jobs. I'm not saying they can't. In this one, the detective is a 95-pound lingerie model... Who is one of the most beautiful cops you've ever seen? Who also happened to be a like I, cheesy movie star. I actually liked that though. Yeah, they explained it. That was the one thing I liked. They is they explained it? They're in Hollywood, and so like, right. yeah, this cop was like, yeah, I did one of those. I like movie movies when was like I was Phoebe Cates in right. Fast Times Original High coming out of the pool topless, basically. And now she's a cop because she was like so embarrassed and she yeah, but she can't live it down. Yeah. And, and like, I actually thought that was pretty clever. That is a fantastic explanation. Whereas like 
in Castle, I'm sorry, but that cops walk around. People be like, oh my God, that is the best Matt, looking cop I've ever you seen. You don't have to explain <laughs> how good looking you are every second of every day. No, but the men can be schlubby and some reason the women are never allowed to look normal. No, all That's the men on Castle okay. are handsome dudes too. Well, they're pretty good looking. Regardless. Come on. There were moments that I thought were kind of well written. There was some stuff that could be fun if they flesh out and go supernatural nuts with it. But... They that did, said, though. They didn't at all. And that said, this is just another cop and wacky sidekick procedural. Like, but you'll never guess. It's the devil. I, here's the number one thing that bothered me about it. He walked around telling everybody who he was. I'm the devil. I'm the devil. I'm the devil. My name is Lucifer. I'm the devil. I'm yeah. the, everyone on Earth has forgotten who the devil is, except for the one little kid. Yeah. Who he says that his name is Lucifer and the little kid goes, like the devil? Yeah. Yes, like the devil. Well, maybe that's one of his powers. I don't know. I no, mean, I, I didn't. I thought it was unoriginal. It was totally it was It was exactly what you said. It's every cop procedural that's on TV right now smashed well, together with Constantine. Cop and wacky sidekick. <clears throat> complete procedural. with, right. Complete with like angel that shows up to threaten the main character for yeah. no good reason supernatural. every episode <laughs> like you like supernatural kids i didn't like it yeah it sucked i might watch another episode just to see if it gets any better because pilots are rough right but i was not impressed this sucked and they took a fantastic story and basically went well we just want the main character he's gonna do something totally different okay everything else like yeah. come on man so when they say based on the vertigo series yeah <laughs> no that's being very generous yeah they should say based on the title of the vertigo series <laughs> right <laughs> in other hollywood news disney chairman and ceo bob Iger went on the record saying that there's no end in sight for the company's expansion of the marvel and star wars film universes matt it seems weird al said it best in his classic yoda when luke sang the long-term contract I have signed says I'll be making these movies till the end of time. Are you pumped for 90-year-old Luke? Who knew? Weird Al. Soothsayer. Iger went on and he spoke with BBC's Newsbeat about the longevity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Star Wars both. And he said, you're dealing with thousands and thousands of characters that will go on forever. And he's right. If, they, if you look at it that way, there's so many stories that could be See, told. I agree in the case of Marvel. I don't necessarily agree when it comes to Star Wars. Well, why the hell not? You got a whole universe of characters. Because I think the more you dilute Star Wars, the more you stray away from the core. Okay. It starts to get less special. That's kind of the problem with the expanded universe, right? There's just so much stuff. Right. They said there's five Star Wars films that are in varying stages of development right now, and there's going to be more after that. He went on to say, I don't know how many. I don't know how often. <laughs> Once a year for eternity. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, though, when... A movie makes more money than Avatar. Yes, you're going to get a whole sure. lot more of it. Uh, when he was asked if he thought audiences were growing weary of the Marvel and Star Wars films, he answered, no, I don't think they're getting weary, but I think we keep raising the bar in terms of telling stories that bring them back or that make it feel new. And this is what we do for a living. Yeah. And I, I totally and agree. And if they can keep that up. Every time they put out another one of these movies, there's all this grumbling from critics and not typically from fans, but it's like from, you know, Variety Magazine or Esquire or whatever, like well-known critics who are like, oh, we're all so tired of the superhero schluck. And then Ant-Man yeah. comes out and guess what? It's, it's the best, right? It's at 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, right. you know? They're, everyone is always saying, oh, the bubble's going to burst on the, on the comic book movie. Right. 
as though comic book was a genre. Yeah. Comic book is no more a genre of story than movie is a genre right. of story. With the Marvel Universe, uh, Star Wars, they're going to do what they do. And if they can expand that universe and give us a reason to care yeah. about things like I'm pumped beyond like, Luke and Leia and the Bounty Legacy, Hunters movie, that sounds amazing. Then I'm fine with that. Uh, with Marvel, though, they've got such a deep well to draw from. Yeah. And I think if they can keep getting quality people to make quality films with quality stories and quality right. talent. Right. Then by all means, give it to me. I want it. I'm yeah. hungry for it. Yeah. But not every movie has to be the Avengers. And stop saying, oh, I'm sick of it. And then going to the movie and walking out going, oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> settle down. <laughs> Finally, stay out of the woods because the grizzly shark is making a comeback. Ah! Beginning April 6th, Invincible artist Ryan Otley is reviving his creator-owned character, Grizzly Shark, in a new three-issue series. Grizzly Shark is an absurd horror comedy about a flying shark that hunts hillbillies in the deep woods. It's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> the character was introduced in the sold-out 2010 one-shot Sea Bear and Grizzly Shark in collaboration with Trees artist Jason Howard. That guy is f awesome. It's true. Way. I, it is sad. Jason Howard couldn't come back to do more. Right. They planned to do them both together, but he got busy. And who's to say he he's got a Warren, He got a Warren Ellis job. Right. This so. new series is going to reprint the original story in full color, and then it's continuing on with new tales. Joey, did you ever expect this mishmash of a monster concept to make a comeback? You know, I didn't, but I am pretty excited about it. I will say, last time I was at C2E2, Ryan Otley was there, and he was selling sketches, but if you wanted a grizzly shark sketch, it was free. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a grizzly shark. I think he loves that Heck character. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I could never really say that I was pumped for the return of grizzly shark sure but i love these weird little side projects yeah 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 that these creators do to kind of recharge hey, their it's, it's great for them recharge their creative batteries or refill their juices or whatever metaphor you want to use and so if he wants to take a quick break when actually this has been done for a year yeah he took a break from invincible those issues are finally starting to hit where cory walker is going to come back for an arc Grizzly shark is so much fun it's so stupid it was stupid fun yeah it really was uh, I loved that comic. And yeah, absolutely. Bring me more of Grizzly Shark. And if Sea Bear makes a comeback, I ain't mad. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums, where you can also find Joe's Sea Bear fan fiction, which has taken a turn for the dramatic when the furry menace of the waves finds out his mother was a koala. We're dealing with a lot of hard-hitting racial issues. Yeah. <laughs> Every week, your favorite big bear, Joe Patrick, posts a question of the week on the THM forums. I don't know if that's what... <laughs> no. Joey, tell them what we're asking the kids this week. So you may have noticed we did not put out an answer of the week this week because, yeah, you know, life happens. We forgot. Literally. We kind of <laughs> forgot. Yeah. It's so dumb. <laughs> so this week's question is last week's question. You get an extra week. It is inspired by the return of Bloodlines, which Jared and Matt talked about on last week's show. And looks stupid. Yeah. With a little bit of help from Anthony, currently from Brooklyn, which long forgotten and possibly reviled event would you like to see get an update or make a return? Flush it out. Get some heroes and villains in there that are being introduced. 
Matt wrote this sense. It's nonsense. I'm just kind of trying to figure it out no, as I no, go. I'm saying Fletch, like the heroes that were introduced in those. If like, there were new heroes that were introduced, let's talk about them. Like the bonus points. The cyber rats, for example. Gunfire. Where are they now? Yeah. Uh, bonus points if you attach a creative team. There you go. You have until 5 o'clock Central Time this coming Friday. It is February 5th. To get us your answer, you can use Skype. The uh, handle's to it at nerd, all one word. Or you can use the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Or if you're feeling grizzly, you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. However you choose to contact us, keep it under two minutes. We got a lot of people that call. We like to share the air. That's right. Matt is not shy about cutting you off. It's not me. It's my protest. It's Robot Alec Baldwin. I'm he, telling you. He blames Robot Alec Baldwin even though he programmed Robot Alec Baldwin. He does not like that term. But robot is not the proper nomenclature. He's, He's an artificial right. intelligence. Yeah. If you need more time, if two minutes doesn't cut it, go to the THN web forums. Write as much as you want. There's already people there talking about it. There's some heady nerds there. Our favorite people in the world are on the forums. You know who you are. And then tune in. We promise next week for the answer of the week podcast where you will hear all of your answers along with our own it's the coolest it's review time in the ziggurat where we read and discuss two of this week's comics and rate them on our buy it skim it or leave it scale joey i'm only letting you go first because you came home after running away last week ah yeah it was weird grown men typically don't (laughs) run away but i mean i didn't i didn't (laughs) run away i I, I didn't I, come of my own volition. I put up pictures. Have you seen this nerd? This week, I am reviewing Faith Number 1 from Valiant Entertainment, written by Jody Hauser, with art by Francis Portella and Marguerite Sauvage. Oh, Colors are by Jordi Belair. It's 32 pages for $3.99, your standard comic these days. Here is the solicit. Faith Herbert, the psionically gifted Syot known as Zephyr, has been a neglected child a pawn of the Harbinger Foundation, and a washout with the government super team called Unity. But now, she's taking control of her life and becoming the hero she's always known she can be, complete with a secret identity, a code name, and a cover assignment that routinely throws her into harm's way. But flying solo is going to be tougher than she ever thought as she uncovers a deep-rooted alien conspiracy that could destroy human civilization from the inside out. Is Faith out of her depth, or in for her biggest adventure yet? Now, I'm sure you've all heard me talk about how much I've loved Valiant Comics, but haven't been able to keep up. I haven't been following their books regularly, I'm ashamed to admit it, since Harbinger Wars back in 2013. Good God! So I was pleasantly surprised that I was able to step back in with Faith number one, and it felt like I never missed a beat. Jody Hauser has Faith striking out on her own after her time with the Harbinger Renegades, Her former teammate has set up a new life for her, complete with a secret identity and a job at a major metropolitan newspaper. It's all very familiar. At least that's how nerdy fangirl Faith imagines it. In reality, she's stuck writing clickbait articles for a BuzzFeed analog, and her secret identity has her dressing like Melissa McCarthy from the movie Spy. (laughs) (laughs) She spends her spare time fighting crime and extolling the virtues of the fifth element and other pop culture to her long-distance BFF Archer from Archer and Armstrong. It's pretty sweet. That was the fifth element they were talking about. Yeah, I couldn't I, figure I re- it out. I reread it when I read the review, and I was like, oh, okay. fifth element. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. Uh, Archer, of course, grew up sequestered in a cult compound and is just learning about the, joy- the joys of genre fiction, and Faith is kind of holding his hand, leading him into this larger world. If you're not reading Archer and Armstrong, you a dummy. Well, the book's not out yet. They're re- getting ready to relaunch I'm just it. saying, you know, you should be excited for it, and you should have already read the other stuff. Talking directly to you. Thanks, got it. 
Faith is almost relentlessly positive, despite the fact that her job isn't what she wants it to be, and the villains that she runs across are a lot more grim than her idealized visions. She exists in the quote-unquote real world, uh, with all of its ugliness, but isn't brought down by it. Her obsession with pop culture informs the way she's chosen to live her life. It's like imagining what would happen if a good-hearted nerd suddenly woke up one day with superpowers. Like, I have had daydreams like this. Sure. I love this take, and I love that Faith's good nature shines through despite the darkness of the world around her. You've had daydreams where you rescue Chris Hemsworth and he's shirtless? I think it was Chris Evans, but no, well, not exactly. <laughs> no, I totally, I've had, I've had dreams where it's like, if I woke up tomorrow with superpowers, the first thing I would do is turn myself into a superhero. Of course I would. Okay. Who wouldn't? I'd go full supervillain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're, you're you evil. would all be in serious trouble. Because you're evil. I misunderstood. No. Yes. You're evil. And power hungry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Artists Francis Protella and Andrew Dalhouse illustrate the hell out of this book. Dalhouse's color art is a great match for Protella's clean style. Portella's line art is full of detail, and he does a great job with everything from sterile offices to seedy warehouses to aerial shots of the Los Angeles Hills. And his character faces are all distinct and very expressive. Marguerite Savage steps in to illustrate Faith's fantasy sequences as she imagines an idealized version of her life and heroics. It's a fun diversion that gets into the character's mindset. I really enjoyed Faith number one, and I liked it even more when I discovered that I could easily follow it despite my utter failure to keep up with Valiant Comics. Faith is a great character. And I'm excited to see where the rest of this miniseries takes her. I'm giving Faith Number One a huge buy it. Yeah, I love this. It was so good. It was packed full of personality. Yeah. It was fun. It was lighthearted, but there's still like real elements of danger. There's something super creepy going on that's going to keep me coming back to see what the hell she's gotten herself into because she's not really good at this yet. This is a story about a big girl. I mean, like, Faith is big. She's not like huge and fat, but she's a big girl. She's and they never go into like fat jokes. They don't like overly address it. They don't show her like pigging out or anything. Like they're really good well, at yeah, saying like the this fact is- that she is overweight is not an issue. That's what I like. They didn't beat it over your head. There were no. Jokes. They didn't even address it. Yeah, it was just she is who she is, and she's awesome. And like they also don't shy away from it. Like there's a silhouette of her in the shower. There's a scene of her sitting in her underwear talking to Archer, you know, like she's just a normal person. And she's I, a normal person. I really, really liked it. There was so much personality in this book and the art is beautiful. I love this character straight out of the pages of uh, Hardbringer. Hardbringer. Buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this and read Valiant Comics. All of you. You too, Joe Patrick. I'm, yeah, fine. I got it. I get it. God, I'm sorry. Because I got to have Matt, I feel like we're going to butt heads on this next comic. Oh, I bet we are. Tell us about Prophet Earth War. This one comes from Image. It's written by Brandon Graham and Simon Roy with art by Giannis Milano Giannis and Simon Roy with backup story by Sarah Horrocks. 32 pages for $3.99. It feels like Joe and I were just talking about Graham and Roy's Prophet relaunch yesterday, but this series started way back in 2012 and has been blowing minds to the strange brand of far future sci-fi whenever it comes out. Yeah. With Earth War, the series comes to its natural conclusion, and honestly, I lost track of the series, mainly because we haven't seen an issue since, like, July of 2014. The last we saw of the truly bizarre space opera, the story had grown so huge in scope that it was easy to lose track of the main character, or at least the prophet we met back in 21. 
Earth War instantly brings the story back down to Earth, quite literally, with the Elder Prophet leading a band of rebels exploring the ruins of Earth so far from their past that it's completely unrecognizable. Unlike other space operas, Prophet envisions the aliens here and not just using strange appearances and body shapes, but introducing bizarre religions and cultures that hints at millions of years of history. Even the ships are weird living creatures that use membranes as windows to maintain life support and their massive bodies that transport the Prophet clones. This six issue miniseries sets up the story of the war that will see the Prophet clones and their rebel force siding with the race of crystal worshiping aliens we met earlier in the series to purge the Earth of the Empire. As usual, the book is crushed full of amazing art, beginning with a stunning cover by Simon Roy. From there, Milan and Giannis. God, I'm sorry if I'm ruining that name. <laughs> Milan Gian- Milano almost, Giannis. Almost certainly. Yeah. And Roy, take us on a strange journey we've come to expect from Prophet. It's equal parts 70s, 80s sci-fi art you might see in the pages of Omni Magazine or concept art from your favorite cult movies. If you can't tell, I love this book. And I couldn't be happier to have Prophet back, even if it's just for five more issues. If you're looking to jump into the story, this is definitely not the place. Okay, there we go. Start at the beginning. It's totally worth it. If you're looking for a completely original, long-form science fiction story, you cannot go wrong with Graham and Roy's Prophet. The only place I'm saying this falls down is it's going to be much better collected. I'm giving this a buy it because I love this series so much. I had such a difficult time reading this comic. Just reading it, let alone comprehending it <laughs> because I didn't read profit. It's for smart kids. I haven't. Yeah. I mean, I'm a dummy. Uh, I didn't read all of profit leading up to this. Okay. Yeah. You would be completely lost. I like science fiction. I right. really do. Right. But there's something about this particular brand of science fiction where it's just so heavy with lore <laughs> and weirdness. And I will say they don't hold your hand at I, I had the same problem reading all of the other Brandon Graham influenced books, Island and um, uh, Eight House. Oh, yeah. The Eight House stuff. Those those weren't all done by Brandon Graham, but it's that same style where it's just like this is so heavy with right details and they don't really. I agree. It's not working for me with Eight House and, and it's much better for me here. Yeah. I mean, I guess with this as a, a longtime fan, you would have been used to what's happening and how it right. all works for me though i i read this and went what the f- man what the <laughs> f-? and then there was a backup story by sarah horrocks who i'm sure is a very talented person yeah i hated it oh but i could barely even look at it it was completely psychedelic and weird. <laughs> i really liked it all i can say is that this is just it's not for me it's not my cup of tea okay um the lead story, I at least see I see what they're going for. Um, the art is good. I like, will say this is the most direct narrative we've had yet ugh. in this series. But see, like I read the first couple issues of Profit back in the day. Mm-hmm. I was on board with it at the time. I just didn't stay caught up. But now has so much really happened that I'm just completely disconnected? Is that? Is yes. It? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, then I have to give it a skim it. I, I, I'm not going to give it a leave it because I get it. Like I see the merit in it. Right. It's just, it's just not my cup of meat, man. Okay. So that is a buy it and a skim it for Private Earth War and a double buy it for Faith. Now it's time for you. Time to place clones and big, beautiful superheroes 
to play critic. So head over to the THN forums and telekinetically hit us with your opinions of these comics. When famous Atlanta-born rapper B.O.B. Uh, it's Bob. Isn't rapping with Eminem. He spends his time demonstrating the failures of the Atlanta school system by spouting his flat earth theories on Twitter. Even after science badass Neil deGrasse Tyson plainly explained how the earth is in fact round and B.O.B. is in fact an idiot, Bobby channeled his inner Kanye and refused to be incorrect. So, today... Joe and I will be taking Robert into orbit in the THN Blackbird to show him the big blue ball that is the Earth. And then, keep this part quiet, we're going to push him out the airlock. All while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed, go! Mean Girls Club, one shot from Nobrow! Writer-artist Ryan Heshka brings us the badass adventures of the meanest girl gang in town in spectacular 1950s fashion. It's all tight skirts, angora sweaters, quaaludes, guns, and mayhem. It sounds sexy. Heshka's <laughs> art is amazing, and it oozes with style. This was like a Russ Meyer film on crack, and I loved it. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but I thought it was a ton of fun. I love these little weird one-shots from Nobrow because you never know what you're going to get. Mean Girls Club gets an absolute buy it from me. Who is it that punches himself in the crotch every time you say it's not for everyone? <laughs> Keith Silva. <laughs> Keith Silva. He hates that shit. <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters International, number one from IDW. Writer Eric Burnham continues his run on Ghostbusters in a story that's going to take the boys overseas. Here, the Busters are called to the UN to bust a classic acid-spitting demon. We've all been there. Sure, sure. That comes complete with spectral UN representatives. Dan Schuing's art is cartoony and fun. It keeps the story light with just enough occult creepiness that you've come to expect from IDW's Irresistible Ghostbusters comics. But, probably time to introduce the female team. Regardless, buy it! I love, yeah, every time we do one of these on the show, I love it. And I wonder, why am I not reading the Ghostbusters comic every time? Yeah, it's just great. It's so fun. I, and I fall off too. Old Man Logan, number one, Marvel! Why are you yelling? I want to go back to screaming all the titles. The fallout from Secret Wars continues as Old Man Logan finds himself in the present day of the reborn Marvel Universe. Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino present a different take on Wolverine, thrown into a world he doesn't belong in, broken by past tragedies, and desperate to prevent his future before it happens. I liked this a lot, and it's a fun way to have Logan back in the world without distracting from the excellent work Tom Taylor and David Lopez are doing in all-new Wolverine. Old Man Logan number one gets a buy it. I loved it. Why was he naked? Nobody else is naked when they showed up. Why is he naked? I don't know. Terminator. Yeah. So. I don't either. I don't, <laughs> I, you know what? I didn't read the miniseries. He may have been naked at the end of that. I don't think so. No. Who knows? <gasps> Scales of time. One shot from Cosmic Times. There's a lot going on here for a one shot. Stay with me. An eight-year-old piano virtuoso with progeria, the disease that makes kids age rapidly and only Michael Jackson wants to hang with them, is being forced by his rich patron, who might be a dragon, to play the concert of his life, <laughs> which is going to unleash some kind of magic. But a time-warping robot appears to old kid, promising to save him. It's a lot to follow in a one-shot, and the story comes off as a little clunky, but there is some promise here. Maybe just scale back on the idea or flesh it out over a few issues, scales of time. Giving it a skim it. Twilight Children, number four from Vertigo. 
On paper, this sounded like an amazing project from comic book legends Gilbert Hernandez and Darwin Cook. In execution, it was a beautiful but confusing mess. I enjoyed reading this series a lot, don't get me wrong. But after four issues, I barely have any idea what happened. I haven't read it. And I'm finding it really difficult to recommend. I think this series needed way more than just four issues to really explore the story that these guys wanted to tell. As it stands, it feels like 10 pounds of comics shoved into a five-pound bag. I can't believe I'm doing this I know. to Gilbert Hernandez and Darwin I'm Cook. I'm shocked. But I'm giving Twilight Children number four a skimmit. When Darwin Cook dumps you, you're going to be sorry. I know. Victory City, number one, from IDW. Ben Templesmith is a very talented artist and a nice guy. I met him. He's a snappy dresser, too. Ben is on the covers here, and Vincent Nappy, the issue's artist, is obviously a fan. And while I give him props for trying something different, his loose sketch style with heavy blacks gets so spastic at times, I couldn't tell the characters apart, let alone what the hell they were yeah, doing. I, there were some panels where it was just there completely was a panel unclear that I looked at, and I could not identify it until I let my eyes go out of focus, and I said, oh, that's a car. Oh, <laughs> like, I could right. not see it. It was like one of those sailboat pictures, you know, with all the yeah, dots. Right. <laughs> there, there was another page. It's a schooner, you idiot. <laughs> right. The story follows a comically evil serial killer and a white knight cop who might be the only good cop left in Victory City. By the way, Victory is spelled V-I-C-T-O-R-I-E. The uh, story was heavy-handed at best. Without many surprises, Victory City came off as a pale imitation of Warren Ellis and Ben Templesmith's amazing Bell series. Leave it. I didn't like it. Strayer, number one from Aftershock. Luther Strode writer Justin Jordan and artist Juan Gideon take us to a post-apocalyptic far future where metal is the rarest substance on Earth and technology is treated like magic. Strayer is sort of a bumbling Hercules-esque warrior with liquid metal gauntlets that makes his living fighting giant monsters. I really liked it. As long as you pay him. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gideon's angular art is really good, and Jordan's story hook is pretty fun. It kind of reminded me of, like, a serious action adventure time. Okay. Because it's, like, super yeah. far future. I'll give you that. It's so far in the future that things like computers are, like, totally weird. Yeah. This is another great book from Aftershock, and I'm going to stick with it. I'm giving Strayer number one a buy it. I'm going to say Aftershock, best new company. They're kicking ass. They're doing great. Cry Havoc, number one, from Image. After reading this, I tried to picture writer Simon Spurrier's elevator pitch for the series, and I think it went something like this. British lesbian werewolf goes to war in modern-day Middle East with a team of other werewolves. The comic is very well-designed, with a kick-ass cover by Cameron Stewart. The solicit boasts an unprecedented use of multiple colorists to define the story's threads. And while the color did change for different scenes, unprecedented might be too strong of an adjective. Ryan Kelly's art was fantastic as usual, and the comic, it really is beautiful. I'm just not sure where Spurrier is going with the story. Characters are well fleshed out, except for the two generic racist soldiers, but the time jumps left me a little confused. I'm going to read more, because I want to see where this goes, but it's a little too much cry and not enough havoc. <laughs> I'm giving it a skim it. You know what? I disagree. I really liked it. Did you? Yeah. Shut up. Suicide Squad, Most Wanted, Deadshot, and Katana, number one from DC. They're like challenging Dark Horse for the longest comic book title of all time. What's the current? Uh, Wasn't it Witchblade, Terminator, Aliens, Predator, oh, Salvation, right. uh, colon overkill. Warpath, Overkill, <laughs> End of the World, Apocalypse, or something like that? Yes, uh, Aliens versus Predator versus Darkness versus Witchblade, <laughs> colon, overkill. <laughs> because there's a movie coming out, DEC has decided there needs to be way more Suicide Squad content on the show. Thank the Lord. 
This miniseries is split into two stories, thankfully featuring the two squad members that I'm at least the most mildly interested in. <laughs> uh, Brian Bucalato. Can we say you're not in hate with? I'm not in hate with them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brian Bucalato and Victor Bogdanovich uh, tackle the Deadshot story, and Katana co-creator Mike W. Barr returns to script the second story alongside artist Diogenes Neves. I really like her. Him. Whoever that is. Well, I still think the New 52 designs for both characters are a crime against comics. This was a better read than I was expecting, and I didn't need more than a passing familiarity with the Suicide Squad concept to follow it. They're supervillains in prison. Yeah. They go on missions yeah. to get credit for good behavior. That's the... There, go. That said, it didn't really wow me to the point that I feel the need to keep reading or check out the main title. Suicide Squad Most Wanted gets a skim it. Hellboy Winter Special number one from Dark Horse. It has been quite a while since a Hellboy special hit the stands, and I forgot how fun these Magnoliaverse anthologies can be. Her story, written by Magnola and Scott Alley, is set thousands of years ago and features a character I'm sure we're going to meet again with badass art by Tim Sale. Where has that guy been? Next, we get a nice intro to Hellboy and the BPRD by Magnola and Roberson, and then two funny stories I didn't give a shit about. Other than Michael Avon Oming's art, which is always great. Love that guy. The Hellboy Winter Special gets a buy it for the first two stories alone. Shakoom! That is the Lucre Speed Round, and Shakoom is the onomatopoeia of the week. And also, the sound of some nasty ghosts appearing to distract the Ghostbusters from a Class 6 fully roaming vapor. We built this city! We built this city on rock and roll! Built this city. Well, the January reaping of our most talented continued this week with the deaths of Jefferson Airplane slash Starship guitarist Paul Kantner and... The man who's been 70 as long as we can remember, Abe Vigoda. Matt's having a really tough time with all these celebrity deaths, so to cheer him up, I've redecorated the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to look like an exact replica of the police station from Barney Miller and picked up two matching replicas of Grace Slick's manly outfit from Matt's favorite Starship video. It's kind of scary. Of course, <laughs> that video is We Built This City. Matt... What do you say we complain about Nick's coffee, tease up our hair, and talk about our must-read comic picks for next week? Thanks, Joe. That sounds great. I'm excited for Mirror Number 1 from Image, written by Emma Rios. Looks weird. Oh, yeah. With art by Kwai. Lim. I don't know. You guys lay it on me. Tell me how to say that. 32 pages for $2.99. Here's your solicit. Emma Rios, Pretty Deadly Island, and Hui Lim, the Lion's Hero. <laughs> Those are the books they worked on. Team up for a new ongoing are series. They? Following a terrorist talking dog, an idealist mage, and a heroic lab rat on their quest for acceptance. I have no idea what this is about, where it's going, but Lim's art looks amazing, and I cannot wait to read this weird-ass image book. Joe Patrick, what are you excited for next week? Next week, I am excited about the return of Miles Morales in Spider-Man number one from Marvel Comics, written by everyone's favorite B.M. Bendis, with art by Sarah Pacelli. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Is it weird to call him Spider-Man when he's like 13? He's like 15. He's like Spider-Tween, you know? He was the same. I think he's the same age as Spider-Man was when he became Spider-Man. Okay, okay. Miles Morales has been doing the superhero thing for a while, but after Secret Wars, he'll be a full-fledged member of the Marvel Universe. Swinging next to the Invincible Iron Man, the Mighty Thor, and the all-new Captain America as a card-carrying member of the Avengers 
is an adventure, but it's not all fun and games for New York City's main Spider-Man. Why man is in all caps, I don't know. <laughs> what happened in the eight-month gap? It all starts in Spider-Man number one. It's going to be cool. It's so hard to yell. It's going to be cool. I loved the Miles Morales comic book. Yeah, it was um, the only good thing that came out of the Ultimate Universe. Really. I did lose it for a while when they were doing all of those crossovers. Oh, yeah. Uh, like Galactus came and there was a new civil war in America. Yeah. And half the country got taken over by the X-Men. Who the, I don't even know. <laughs> Miles is in the main Marvel Universe now. Something happened at the end of Secret Wars to impact his life in a big way. I am very excited to see how that all shakes out. Excellent book. Excellent character. Excellent creators. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Prez, Volume 1, Corndog in Chief. Trade paperback from DC Comics, written by Mark Russell. We just talked about him a little bit ago. With art by Ben Caldwell. It's 160 pages for $14.99. That's like free. I, literally. It's practically free. Yes, stealing it will cost you more. Here's your solicit. Meet Beth Ross, the first teenage president of the United States in a nation where corporations can run for office. The poor are used as human billboards and tacos are delivered by drone. Our only hope is this 19-year-old Twitter sensation. I wish I could get some drone tacos. I would go for a drone taco right now. But the real question isn't whether she's ready for politics. It's whether politics is ready for her. Collects Prez 1 through 6 along with a sneak peek story from Convergence! Batgirl! Number two. Prez was great. It got my best new character, Golden Beppo Award for last year. I loved this series. We lost it too soon. Pick this up. It was a fun read. Matt, your perm looks great. And you're nailing the Barney Miller intro on the bass. Yeah, man. And there are some great comics to look forward to next week. You feeling any better, buddy? Definitely not. I'm planning on donating my body to medical science. <laughs> If take it. Now that we've alienated all our listeners under 35, the rest of you old farts should head over to the DHN forums and tell us what you're excited to read next week. Barney Miller theme song? Best theme song ever, man. Oh, man. It's, it's, so good. it's pretty good. It's up there. One, two, three, four, five. Breakdown, baby. Back in the day, when a month had five weeks, comic publishers seized the opportunity to free fans from their hard-earned cash with a wacky fifth-week event. Here in the Ziggurat, we carry on that rich tradition with our very own fifth-week event, the THN Top 5! That's right. And this week, in honor of the casting of Delroy Lindo as Dominic Fortune. Love him. In the Marvel TV universe. Did not see that coming. I certainly did not (laughs) see that coming. Not to get racial about it, because I love Delroy Lindo. He's great. But wasn't part of Dominic Fortune's whole deal that he was, like, secretly Jewish? Yeah. And he was, like, Nazi-busting adventurer in the 40s? Yes. Okay. Black people can be Jewish. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's fair, I guess. Remember Sammy Davis Jr.? Come on. Okay, fair point. Dare me to name another one. I dare you to name another one. I can't. Okay. (laughs) So in honor of Delroy's uh, recent success... We are, pardon me, Mr. Lindo. Yeah. We are celebrating the THN Top 5 favorite elderly superheroes. One, two, three, four, five. Matt, start us off with your number five. My number five goes to the oldest character I could possibly think of. The Ancient One. Oh! It's right in his name. That dude is so old. He's Doctor Strange's mentor. He also mentored another Marvel sorcerer. Can you name him? Baron Mordo? No. Good guy. 
no, I, no, Doctor Druid. Oh, was I right? Did you know that? I didn't know that. The Ancient One was created by Stanley and Steve Ditko way back in 1963 in the pages of Strange Tales number 110. The Ancient One was born in Kamar Taj, Tibet, more than 500 years ago. Old ass dude, right? Right. He spent his youth as a peaceful farmer until his friend discovered the power of magic. And then him and his buddy Kalu study magic together. They have a falling out. Doesn't go well. The Ancient One is stripped of his immortality at the time, but the magic makes him age very, very slowly. Oh, so slow. Yes. And he will be played by none other than famous pale, sweaty salamander Tilda Swinton will play the Ancient One (laughs) in the upcoming Doctor Strange film. He gets my number five. Joe Patrick, let's hear yours. Matt, my number five goes to an old ass superhero. It might be kind of cheating. I don't care. My number five is Namor the Submariner because he's like 90. He is an old dude. Oh, no, he's older than 90. Yeah, he yeah, might yeah. be like 100 and something. Yeah, he just ages I mean, he really is, well. He is dead now, but. The world's first mutant. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. He did. Died in the pages recently. Squadron Supreme. Squadron Supreme. He had his head cut clean off. Yeah. So Namor the Submariner, he is half Atlantean, half human. Uh, Arguably the Earth's first mutant. I hate that they consider him a mutant. I am not down with that sort of marketing. I, like I hated it. it when he was in the X-Men. It's I, stupid. I like it. He's Namor. Sometimes he wants to conquer the land. Sometimes he wants to help. He's got little wings on his feet. Sometimes he's an Avenger. Sometimes <laughs> he's a villain. He's got wings. Loves him some blonde babes. He loves blonde babes. <laughs> Sue Storm. Emma Frost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got, a, he's got a type. He's got a type. He's got super strength. Yep. He is pale skinned when most Atlanteans are blue skinned. It's true. Might be because he's half human. He's I don't half know. Human. I didn't look it up. Yes. But he's super strong. He can fly. Namor. I think he's cool. That's good number five. I like it. Yeah. My number four goes to Wesley Dodds, the original Sandman. Yeah, I love Wesley Dodds. I love Wesley Dodds. And there was not a better Vertigo read than the Wesley Dodds Sandman stories, the Sandman Mystery In Theater. In the 90s, yeah, Sandman oh, Mystery Theater. Oh, man, Matt Wagner was writing those. They were awesome, so good. This is not Neil Gaiman's Sandman. This was Sandman wearing a, the like, Golden Age Sandman, basically. Gas mask, fedora. Gas mask, fedora. Trench coat. Trench coat, and he had a gun that fired sleeping gas. And a harpoon gun. Solved mysteries. I loved it. Love Wesley Dodds. That dude is great. What's your number four? That's a really good pick, and I'm kind of jealous I didn't uh, think of it. I love that one. My number four, though... Also might be sort of cheating, but he is older, even older than the ancient one in my book. Okay. My number four elderly superhero, technically speaking, is Hawkman. Carter Hall. This is cheating. No way, dude. This is cheating. He is 3,000 years old. No, he has multiple lives. I'm counting He's it. not 3,000 years old. 3,000 years old. He remembers all of his life and experiences. Cheating. Just because he gets to hit the reset button every 30 years or so. He doesn't get to hit the reset button. He's born into someone else's body. That's past lives. Doesn't count. I'm Periscope. Does Hawkman count? Foot hands on the Twitter says Hawkman don't count. <laughs> Thank you, Whatever. Ni- thank you, Nick Garcia. That's uh, Black Scorpion. <laughs> yep. He's got like three different aliases. <laughs> fine, fine. Ted Knight, fine. Okay, there we go. The original Starman. Okay, we got it. My number three. In my heart, it's Hawkman. All right, all right. My number three goes to another really, really old guy. Always grumpy. Always a jerk. He's Thor's f-ing dad. He's Odin. Eye patch. He's got a talking raven. He hates 
everybody thinks he's the baddest dude in the world. He's always been an old man. Even when we see like stories like way in the past with like young gods, Odin is still like a bearded bald guy. <laughs> he's old. What's your number three? My number three cannot be disputed. It's Ted Grant, a.k.a. Wildcat from the Justice Society. Okay. All right. He's just a boxer. I love him. He we- He's a boxer. He wears a furry cat suit. Really stupid And costume. goes into battle. He trained Batman. Yep. Well, a lot of people train Batman, but he was one of them. He helped train Batman. He was one of them. I love him. He's a total womanizer. He likes to just hang out and booze it up. Yeah. And have sexy time. Somewhere along the line, he just happened to go on an adventure that supernaturally gave him nine lives like a cat. Grant Morrison just dropped that out of nowhere in a storyline. And they kind of ran with it. So every time he dies, well, he gets nine tries, basically, where he dies and he just wakes up. I love him so much. He is a fun character. I miss Wildcat in the DC universe. I do too. <sighs> so much so that my number two went to Ted Knight, Wildcat. Let's just get past all of this. All right. Let's boil it down. This is the only answer anyone cares about anyway. Matt, what's your number one? My number one goes to my favorite white-haired old bastard of a mutant, Cable. The old man of the X-Men. I thought about Cable. <laughs> the old man of the X-Men. I love him. Since we met Cable, he's been like 60. <laughs> Way back in New Mutants 87, back in 1990, we met him. He was already an old dude. Here's where it gets weird. Yeah, see, I don't know how old he was. He had white hair for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but he, he was, was always kind of nebulous. But he was always, he was gruff. I would say that he was probably in his 40s, maybe. He was a gruff old timer already. But through time travel. Yeah. And time jumping shenanigans. He's he is now way old, old. way older. He's got to be in his sixties, right? <laughs> and here's the real wacky part. He's Scott Summers' kid. Well, he's the son of uh, Scott and Madeline Pryor. Oh, that's right. That's right. Clone of Jean Grey, aka the Goblin Queen. Yeah, that got weird. All right. <laughs> Came back from the future to save the past. Stayed in the past for a while. Uh, ran around the future again. With uh, another baby. He ate. Okay, so Cable aged from the point of um, uh, X-Men Second Coming or whatever that story was. It was Second Coming. With the baby. Yeah. With Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, he aged at least 17 years. Yes. Because that's how much she aged during the course of yeah. his solo Because they ran around in time. He was training <laughs> Hope Summers running around in time to get away from uh, Bishop, who was on an infanticide mission at the time. <laughs> Yeah, he wanted. He liked to straight up kill that baby. Yeah, and may or may not have been possessed by a demon bear, as I recall. Yeah, it got real fuzzy there. Yeah. I don't. I don't know the current really status. Weird. Of Bishop. Wandered around a lot. They brought Hope back. Nobody cared about her. We never saw her again. Goodbye. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah she she brought the mutants back, and then yep. has literally never been seen yeah, since. She then. vanished. Hope um, Summer sucked though. She was dumb. Yeah, I never and really they did. never even revealed who her real parents were and stuff. They were just people. They were just normal. They were just yeah, regular was, ass people from. She just happened uh, to be a redhead. Her last name was Summer. It's like tease, tease, tease. Well, her last name wasn't Summers. That's what he named her because right. she, he adopted her. Right. Regardless, Cable, my number one. Her name was Lost to Time because her parents were dead. I guess. All right, my number one. There is absolutely, there can be no disputing my number one. My favorite aged superhero is Jay Garrick, the original Flash. He's just such an amazing uh, mentor figure for multiple generations of characters, especially the speedster characters. I loved it when he was such a huge part of uh, Wally's flashbook yeah uh and also in impulse when he became uh max mercury kind of 
had to step aside and uh, Impulse went to live with Jake Garrick. And so he became the mentor figure there. Um, he was the the number one father figure of the reborn JSA, which we have talked about so much, so many times on yeah. the show, of course, along with Wildcat and Alan Scott. Alan Scott, who, who I love. Probably should have made my list Super instead of Namor, but I didn't want to pick just JSA characters. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Because <laughs> really, if I in my heart of hearts, if I'm naming my fi- top five elderly superheroes, they are all from DC's Justice Society of America. <laughs> True enough. Although Alan Scott, worst weakness in the world. Worse than the color yellow. Wood. You want to beat up Alan Scott? You hit him with a baseball bat. <laughs> hey, magic's weird, man. Uh, but yeah, Jay Garrick, one of the... Number one things I think that DC lost when they decided yeah. to punch the reset button. Yeah. Because that timeless sense of like the old guys, you the, know, that the idea that this world new has, guys. yes, you know, the idea that this world has history yeah, and that they're building on a tradition and that there's a legacy. That is the number one reason that I loved DC so much. Yeah. And they, and they, and they just showed their love of the, like the golden age history of DC and stuff and all that just flushed down the yeah, toilet. Yeah, they flushed it. Now they everybody's totally wearing crustacean looking costumes and getting new powers and <laughs> screw you. Yeah. I, I just, I love him. He is one of my favorite characters, not just my favorite old characters. I celebrate him regardless of his age. New mutant. Jake Eric's my number one. Will you I love still it. Need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? I hope that you enjoyed this top five peek into the mind of Joe and Matt. We want to know your top five favorite characters of advanced years. Not that they are any less wonderful or valid or useful. We're not ageist here. We love them. We were celebrating them. You can do that on the TGN forums. There's got to be a top five section somewhere. There is. In fact, there is. I think I was there the other day. Absolutely is. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for another episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that can upset 2 million moms and kids with progeria everywhere, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, anywhere quality podcasts are sold. I thought progeria was the hair one. No, no, no. It's when they get all wrinkly and old. Oh, no, that's alopecia. Yeah. And while you are subscribing to this show everywhere, please leave us some ratings, some reviews, some thumbs up, all that crap, because it really helps lift us up in the search algorithms so more potential listeners can find us and we can be famous, baby. Why wouldn't you want to subject other people to this nonsense? No doubt. Thank you to all of our donors. You sustain this podcast into its golden years. And if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com to become a sustaining member. It's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. I did air quotes there. Periscope exclusive. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship! Somebody did recently, and they were so terrified by our response that we've never heard from them again. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) If you want to get all up in our domes, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we place the outtake of the week, Skype, and of course, the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. We love it when you play along with us. We want you to be on this show. Do it. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. It's that easy. It's really that easy. There's a bunch of great death metal there, too. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to loyal listener Carl Camarillo Brillo Smith, who launched his own podcast this month, Betrayal! 
Code Kicker, colon, the podcast. I'm sorry. I guess Available. It's not a betrayal. Yeah, not really. Available everywhere quality podcasts are sold. Word to you, Carl. And one day, I'm sure we'll thank you for stealing all our listeners. But for now, watch your back, sucker. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre order your comics or your retailer might kick you right in the goad. This is the Two Headed Nerd signing off. Oh, my goad. <laughs> oh, not my goad. <laughs>